Amen. Turn with me in your Bible to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 14. Excited to be preaching God's Word for us today. We come to the words of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, and He calls us to count the cost, to see what it's required of us to follow Him as His disciples, but also to see what it is that we gain. So I've been praying for us this week, our pastors have been praying for us, that we might receive the words of Jesus, that we might count the cost of following Him, and that we might seek to live our lives just as we said, that that we would give Him our life, our all, and everything that we are. We're in a series in the Gospel of Luke called Jesus Period, and we're in the third section of Luke that we're calling the Son of Man. And so we've come now to Jesus' words here in Luke 14, verse 25. So read the word of God with me as we prepare our hearts to hear from the Lord. Luke 14, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to. To finish, Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, if any one of you, For any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do pray that we would have ears to hear what you're saying to us about the cost of discipleship. What we must do to truly follow you. What is required of us and what it will cost us. But Lord, even as we see these verses here, we know that they are in this gospel, this good news that Luke has handed down to us. This good news of Jesus who lived and died who gave it all so that we might be saved. And so as we hear these commands of Christ, these challenging words from Jesus, may we look to him as the one who's already paid it all and who's truly worth following. God, would you speak to us now? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So how much does it cost? That's what we want to know, isn't it? I mean, you see a house up for sale as you're driving down the street, you want to know how much does it cost? Your kids are trying to convince you to buy the new gaming system. 
Your question to them is, how much is this thing going to cost, right? You're looking for a new car. You want to know how much it's going to cost. You and your fiance have just planned the perfect wedding, and mom and dad are asking you, how much is it going to cost, right? It's natural for us to count the cost. We, we understand that some things in life are costly. We understand that some things require devotion. Some things require sacrifice. We understand that we have to give up some things to get what we want in life. So we'll work hard and we'll eat healthy to, to lose weight and to get in shape. We'll sacrifice spending money on certain things so we can save money to get that car that we want. We'll give up our own desires and our own pleasures so that we can make a good life for our kids. We understand what it looks like to count the cost, don't we? So the question I have for us is that why then have we come to believe that following Jesus doesn't cost us much? How have we come to believe that following Jesus is just as easy as saying a sinner's prayer or walking an aisle at VBS? How have we come to believe that, that following Jesus doesn't really cost us all that much? Maybe an hour and a half on Sunday mornings. Maybe a little money in the offering plate. Maybe a few minutes of prayers before bedtime. I mean, how have we come to believe that Jesus is more concerned about our own personal happiness rather than his mission and his glory in the world? Somehow we've come to believe that following Jesus just doesn't really cost us that much. But friends, we've come to the words of Jesus today, and he tells us that following him will cost us everything. I mean, Jesus is clear, isn't he, in this passage, that being his disciple will require complete devotion to him. I mean, he is clear that his disciples will come to him and and they will die bearing a cross. He is clear that his disciples will hold all that they have with open hands. You see, following Jesus is not easy. It will cost us everything. But friends, it's, it's worth it. Because Jesus is worth it. And so my prayer for us today as we hear the words of Jesus, as he told us, he who has ears to hear, let's hear him. And let's count the cost. My prayer for us today is that we would give up everything to follow Jesus as we treasure him. So let's notice first in God's word, the call to come to Jesus and love him most. Come to Jesus and love him most. So Luke tells us in verse 25 that great crowds of people are starting to follow Jesus. And Jesus wants them to understand that following him is going to cost them something. So here's what Jesus says in verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wow, that's a Bible verse, isn't it? That one's not going to make the coffee mugs. You're not getting that verse framed for your living room, right? What on earth is Jesus saying here? Does he really expect us to hate our parents? Am I really supposed to hate my wife and my kids? Supposed to hate my life? 
I heard a pastor say one time, never read a Bible verse. Never read a Bible verse. He meant by that, never read just one Bible verse. If we had that one Bible verse, I don't know what we would do, but, but we can zoom out and see Jesus' point here. So remember, we saw this last week. Jesus has just left a dinner party. And look at what someone says in, back in verse 15 of chapter 14. Okay? So there's a man sitting there who shouts out, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So during this feast, this man just shouts this out. You see, Jesus is going from town to town declaring that he's bringing the kingdom of God. God's people, the Jews, were waiting for God to keep his promise and bring that eternal kingdom of blessing. And you see, most of the Jews just assumed that when the kingdom came, they would have a seat at the table. But Jesus knows that following him, people are going to make excuses for why they can't follow him. In fact, in the parable he just told us that we looked at last week, he gave us some of those excuses for why people weren't following him. And really earlier, back in chapter 9 of Luke, we saw people literally giving these kind of excuses to Jesus, telling him why they weren't going to follow him. So Jesus wants all of these big crowds of people who were following him to understand what it means to be a disciple in his kingdom. Jesus says, if you want a seat in my kingdom, that means giving me your greatest devotion. You see, that word hate certainly is a very strong word. Jesus is trying to get our attention. But of course, he doesn't mean we need to literally hate our families. In fact, it's a Hebrew expression that means to love something less or to give your devotion to something else. Listen to how Matthew flips this verse around in Matthew 10, 37. He says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, the cultural setting here is helpful, too. In Jewish culture, and really a lot of cultures around the world, there is absolutely nothing more important than your family. Your family has your highest allegiance. And so Jesus is using really strong language here to to call people to give him their greatest allegiance, even more than their family. To be a disciple of Christ means giving him all your devotion, giving him your highest allegiance. It means loving him most. To truly come to Jesus, you must love him most. So Jeannie, my wife, and I celebrated 13 years, a 13-year anniversary a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, praise the Lord. Now listen, when I stood there 13 years ago, I was not promising to love her a lot. I didn't say to her, Jeannie, there's lots of women in this world, and and you're one of them. (laughs) I didn't say I promise to love you just like I love all these other women in my life. I made a promise to love her most. You see, coming to Jesus is not about loving him a lot. It's not about making him one of the many things that you love in your life. Coming to Jesus means you love him most. I mean, Jesus is clear here, is he not? 
You cannot be a disciple of his if you do not love him most. See, Jesus is not some ordinary rabbi calling people to just accept his new teachings. He's not a political pundit calling people to join his campaign. He's not a social worker trying to make life better for people. He's not a community organizer trying to make Israel a better place to live. Jesus is the almighty maker and sustainer of all things. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the one through whom and for whom all things exist. He is the fullness of God in bodily form. He is God's only son. He's our only savior, the world's only mediator. He's our only king. He is risen and exalted above all things, and he's calling us to love him most. To love him more than our mothers and fathers. To love him more than our sisters and brothers. To love him more than our wives and husbands and our children. He says to love him even more than life itself. To be a true disciple of Jesus, you must love him most. And friends, when we realize just how much Jesus has loved us, that's when we can love him the most. You see, Jesus is not calling us to do something he's not already done. Jesus chose to leave his family and to seek and save the lost. His highest allegiance was not to his mother or his brothers and sisters, though he loved them. His highest allegiance was to obeying the Father and to rescuing sinners like you and like me. He loved us more even than his own life. You see, through his death, Jesus proves the depths and the heights and the breadths and the length of his love for us. You see, we love him because he first loved us. And when we can grasp the depths of his love for us, that's when we can love him most. Have you ever accepted the gift of his love today? Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're not one of his disciples. Maybe the call to hate your family and to hate your own life seems too costly to you. Maybe loving Jesus most just doesn't really seem worth it. Well, friends, there is no hope for you outside of Jesus. He is the only way to the Father. His name is the only name that saves And so you can either accept the free gift of love or you can spend an eternity punished for your sins separated from God. Consider the cost. Count the cost today of not following Jesus. Count the cost of not giving your life to him. And why not accept Christ today? Why not repent of your sins? Why not believe that he lived and died and rose again? to save you and to forgive you. Is following Jesus costly? Yes. But consider the cost of not following him. So if you've never done that today, why not do that today? Why not give your life to Jesus? Repent and believe for the first time and come and join us in loving him most. Because you see, any true disciple will love him most. Jesus is clear. You cannot be my disciple if you do not love me most. That means loving Jesus more than our families, 
It means loving Jesus more than our political parties. It means loving Jesus more than our ethnicity and our cultures. It means loving Jesus more than our country. It means loving Jesus more than even our church. I mean, what in your life is fighting for your greatest love? Is there something that you are loving more than Jesus? You see, Jesus loved us at the cost of his own life. And he's calling us to count that cost and to love him more than anything. So brothers and sisters, let's come to Jesus and let's love him most. Notice secondly, our scripture is calling us to follow Jesus and to bear your cross. Follow Jesus and bear your cross. So Jesus turns to the crowds again in verse 27 and says this to them. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Again, Jesus is clear. You cannot be his disciple if you're not willing to carry your own cross. Now, we have to understand just how shocking these words would have been to the crowd of people following Jesus. The cross was a torture device for executing criminals. It was reserved for the worst of criminals. On a cross, you would be stripped naked. You would have your hands and your feet nailed to the wood. You would be placed right there on the side of the street. And you would suffocate and you would die as people walked by. It was an extremely humiliating way to suffer and to die. And Jesus is saying to these crowds of people, every single one of you all needs to carry a cross. I mean, it would be like Jesus telling us today that whoever does not carry their own electric chair cannot be his disciple. You're not getting one of those tattooed on your arm. Nobody's got an electric chair hanging around their neck on a necklace. So what does he mean by this? What, what is, does he literally mean that we have to be crucified in order to be his disciple? Well, no, his point is that following him will cost you your life. The Christian life is a crucified life. It's a life of death. Death to our sin. Death to our selfishness. Death to our pride. Death to our self-promotion. You see, when we follow Jesus, we're following him into a life of self-denial and suffering. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. See, the call to follow Jesus is not a call to come and better yourself. It's not a call to come and to make something out of yourself. It's not a path to success and worldly blessing. It's not a way to realize your hopes and your dreams. Following Jesus will cost you everything. And you see, Jesus tells us a parable about building a tower. No one, he says, starts to build a tower without first counting the cost. If you don't figure out how much money it's going to cost, you'll run out of money. All your neighbors are going to say, there's that fool who didn't figure out how much money it would cost to build that tower. And so we better count the cost before we build, as Jesus says. And it is going to be costly to follow him. It will require bearing a cross. But it will be worth it. It'll be worth it. 
Emily and Stephen Foreman felt the calling of God to be missionaries in North Africa. So they moved to a Muslim country where Christianity is illegal, and they knew that it would be a sacrifice. They moved their four kids to this foreign country. They sought to build relationships and reach people who were hostile to the good news of Jesus. They made lots of sacrifices along the way. But the greatest sacrifice came in 2009. One early morning, Stephen was on his way to visit the local butcher when extremists from Al-Qaeda showed up. They shot him and left his dead body there in the middle of the street. You see, Emily and Stephen would often say, we died before we came here. They counted the costs for following Jesus They knew that following Jesus would mean bearing a cross. You see, they had already lost their lives to Jesus before Stephen lost his life to Al-Qaeda. And here is Emily talking about her late husband. Here's what she said. To Stephen, neither time, money, talents, not even his own life surpassed the supreme value of Christ and his gospel. So ultimately, counting the cost was simple. The gospel is worth more than we could ever pay. That's a woman whose husband was murdered just for trying to share the gospel of Jesus. The foremans knew that following Christ to North Africa would be costly, but they knew that the cost was worth it. You see, they knew that Jesus was not calling them to do something he hadn't already done. Jesus calls us to bear our own cross because he's already borne his. He's challenging the crowds to carry a cross, knowing that in just a few short months, he'll be carrying one too. You see, his face is set towards Jerusalem. And he knows that outside of the city, there's a pile of wood. And in that pile of wood, there is a cross. And it's his. It's the cross on which the king of glory will die. It's the cross where he will pay for the debts of all of our sins. The cross where he will bear the holy wrath of God for our sin. The cross that will prove the depths of God's love for sinners like you and me. Jesus calls us to come and die because he did it first. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. He says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Jesus died for all. Therefore, all have died. Jesus died for us, so we've all died to him. And he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Jesus died and so have we. And and now that we are alive in him, we live for him. We live crucified lives for him. So what does that look like for us? Do we all have to move to difficult places around the world? Do we all have to literally lose our lives 
for Jesus? Do we have to make life as hard as possible for us? What is Jesus calling us to? Here's what a crucified life can look like. It can look like a life of humility. We humble our hearts. We humble our ambitions. We humble our attitudes. We look to others' interests and we consider them more important than our own. We seek to serve rather than to be served. We do what Jesus just told us to do last week, to seek not the highest seats of honor, but the lowest places. You see, there's no room for pride in a crucified life. Life for the disciple of Jesus is a life of walking in humility. A crucified life is also a life of obedience. So we no longer live to please ourselves. We just read that. We live for him to please him. We no longer live to build up our own kingdoms. We no longer live to do what we want to do when we want to do it. For the Christian, it's no longer my way or the highway. But instead, we pray as Jesus taught us for the Father's kingdom to come, for his will to be done. A crucified life means when Jesus speaks, we listen. When he calls, we follow. When he commands, we obey. You see, life for the disciple of Jesus is about obeying God's will and his commands for our lives. A crucified life is a life of obedience. And a crucified life is also a life of self-denial. We put other people first. Our wives, our children, others in the church, other people at work. We don't insist on our own way. We don't live just for our own desires. You see, life for a disciple is about daily denying ourselves for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom. So what cross are you bearing for Jesus? Just think about your life. Where in your life are you making sacrifices for Christ? You see, we might make little sacrifices Each and every day, we may be called upon to make the ultimate sacrifice, as Stephen did someday. But that's okay, because you see, we don't live for ourselves anymore. We've we've died, and we live now for Jesus, the one who carried his cross and died to save us. So brothers and sisters, let's follow Jesus and let's bear our cross for his sake. Lastly, number three, here's what God's word is calling us to do today. To treasure Jesus and to renounce all that you have. Treasure Jesus and renounce all that you have. So Jesus is giving us another parable to help us count the cost. Look at verse 31. He talks about a king going to war. You see, this king has 10,000 men, but his enemy is coming against him with 20,000 men. And so Jesus tells us that a good king is going to sit down and evaluate whether or not they can win being outnumbered two to one. Now, maybe he's got the best army in the world and it would be no problem for them. Maybe the other army is full of a bunch of farmers and it's going to be no problem to beat them outnumbered. But Jesus says if the odds are not looking good, this king is going to send out messengers 
and ask for peace. A good king will not go to war knowing they cannot win. A good king in that moment will surrender. And so Jesus is teaching us that being his disciple requires a life of complete surrender. To come to Jesus, we have to be willing to surrender to him. Surrender our wills and surrender our lives. As he says here, surrender everything that we have. Notice what he says in verse 33. He says, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus connects the surrender of the king with the renouncing of all that we have. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus without complete surrender. But what does that mean? What's it mean to renounce all that we have? Some take that to mean that Jesus is literally calling us to give away absolutely everything that we have. Your, your translation might even say, give up everything that you have. But think about this. When we read the Gospel of Luke, we see people who are rich being very generous but not giving away every single thing they have. Back in chapter 7, there was a group of rich women who were supporting the ministry of Jesus. But Luke doesn't tell us they gave up absolutely everything. Later in chapter 19, we see Zacchaeus give away half of his wealth to the poor. But he doesn't give away all of it. Jesus is not telling us here that it's wrong to be rich. He's not concerned with how much money we have. Rather, what Jesus is concerned about is whether or not our money has us. He's concerned more about the heart attitude of his disciples. As one pastor said, our problem is not that we have lots of things. Our problem is that our things have us. Meaning that we are tempted to give our hearts to our material things, to our money, to our homes, to everything that we have. But Jesus is calling us to a life of complete surrender. To be a true disciple of Christ, you must live a life of surrender. Have you ever tried to take candy from a little kid? So there are times when you're a parent and maybe you're not on, on your uh, total A game, maybe you're a little bit off guard, you weren't watching your four-year-old, and maybe he walks in with a starburst in his hand. And maybe now it's just not a great time to have a starburst. I mean, maybe the little guy just needs to wait until after dinner to eat his candy, or maybe he's already eaten a whole lot of candy and he doesn't need any more that day. But for those of you who are parents, you need to learn something about this situation. There is nothing quite like the grip of a child's hand when you're trying to take candy out of his hand. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm a grown man, and I'm like struggling to pry this little guy's hand open so I can get the candy out. I mean, he is just clinging as tight as he can, hypothetically, right, to, so that he can keep this little piece of candy. Friends, when it comes to the things that we have, I mean, we can be just like that. We can just cling so tight to the money that we have. We can cling to our homes and our possessions. 
We can cling to our families. We can, we can cling to everything that we have. And so Jesus is calling us to come to him, not with clenched fists, but with open hands. You see, renouncing all that we have is, is not necessarily about giving away absolutely everything we have. It's about a heart that's surrendered to Jesus. It's about coming to Jesus with, with open hands and with open hearts. It's about saying, here, Jesus, this money is yours. It's about saying to him, Jesus, this, this home, it's, it's yours. It's about saying these possessions that, that we have, Jesus, they're, they're yours. Jesus, my, my family is yours. My, my life is yours, Jesus. I mean, what do we even have that's not already his anyways? So true disciples of Jesus will surrender to Jesus. But, but how can we do that? I mean, how can we have our lives so clenched to the things that we, that we own? How can we come to Christ with open hearts and hands? We can do that when we come to see just how great of a treasure Jesus is. How do we loosen our, our grip on money? Well, we see that Jesus is better than money. How do, how do we loosen our grip on our possessions? We see that Jesus is better than possessions. How do we loosen our grip on our families or our safety or our comfort? Or our dreams for our, our future. How do we loosen our grip by believing that Jesus is better than all of it? Believing that Jesus is the greatest treasure we could ever have. When we come to Jesus with complete surrender, there is nothing that we could give up that is better than him. Not even our own lives. As as missionary Jim Elliott so famously said, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's not foolish to give up all of this stuff in this world that we can't even keep anyways to gain Jesus who we will never lose. You know, Jesus tells us here in one last parable in our passage about salt. In verse 34, he says, salt is good but if it lose its, loses its taste, it's useless. It's not even good for the manure pile. And so Christ Fellowship, don't we want to be useful for Jesus? Don't we want Christ to use us and to use our church for his kingdom and his glory in our city and in our world? I mean, just think about how useful we could be to Jesus if instead of coming to him, clenching tight to everything that we have, we came with open hands and with open hearts. Just think of how Jesus could use our open hands to reach our city. There are about 130,000 people in Warren County. And at best, only about 20% of them go to church. There could be over 100,000 people around us who do not know the good news that saves them. Just think about how Jesus could use us to reach our neighbors if we came to him with open hands. 
Think about how Jesus could use us to, to care for those in, in the foster care system. Or to care for refugees in our city. To care for men and women struggling with addiction. To, to serve and to reach students on Western's campus. To serve the children in this neighborhood that are growing up in poverty. Listen, I'm not saying that we have to do it all. But just ask yourself, how will Jesus use you to reach our city for him? How can you come to Jesus with open hands saying, Jesus, use me so that I can be so we can reach people for you in our city? You see, we're clinging so tightly to our money and our possession and our time and our energy. Let's come to Jesus with open hands and say, Jesus, use us. Let us be salt. Let us be salt for our city. Let's surrender to Jesus and let's see how he uses us for his glory in our city. And think of just how Jesus could use our open hands and our open hearts to reach the nations. I mean, there's over three billion people in our world who have never heard the gospel of Jesus. They know no one who has and they will live their entire lives and they will die not knowing the good news of Christ. There's over 7,000 groups of people in our world who have little to no access to the gospel. And they will never be saved unless someone brings them the good news. You know, there are an estimated 4 million full-time Christian workers in the world. Only 5% of them are working among unreached peoples. For every 100 thousand dollars that we as Christians make a dollar seventy goes to reach unreached peoples out of a hundred thousand dollars that we make we will send a dollar seventy to reach these people for Christ just think of how Jesus could use us if we opened our hands and opened our hearts if we renounced all that we had and says Jesus it's yours now, of course, we're not all called to go, but we can all come to Jesus with open hands, with open hearts, and say, Jesus, how do you want to use me? He may be calling you to go. He may be calling you to go on a short-term service, maybe long-term career. He may be calling you to support someone who is going. He may be calling you to make sacrifices and to give more money to missions. He may be calling you to, to pray with a passion for an unreached people group. Friends, let's come to Jesus with open hearts and hands and say, Jesus, use us to reach the nations. Let's come and surrender everything that we have and everything that we are to him. So that the world might know just how amazing this treasure is that we have in Jesus. And friends, that's what it's all about, treasure. We can pry open our hands when we see just how beautiful and amazing the treasure is that we have in Jesus. So brothers and sisters, let's treasure Jesus as we renounce all that we have. And friends, Jesus has spoken to us today. He's called us to count the cost 
and to see what it takes to be his disciple. Being a disciple of Jesus means loving him most, more than family, more than even our own lives. Being a disciple of Jesus means carrying a cross and living a life of self-denial for his sake. And being a disciple of Jesus means renouncing everything that we have and surrendering to Jesus. So brothers and sisters, count the cost today. And as we count the cost, may we see that whatever we might lose, family or money or comfort or even our own lives one day, whatever we might lose, it's nothing compared to what we gain in Jesus. He loves us. He carried his cross for us. And he is our greatest treasure. So what will it cost to follow Jesus? It will cost everything. But friends, when we have Jesus, we have everything. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the words of Jesus. God, may we count the cost. May we have ears to hear even as Jesus said. May we be willing to lose everything, knowing that in Christ we gain everything. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.